When I first started attending the University of Saskatchewan, I wanted to be a high school science teacher. I really liked science, and I really liked people, and obviously I, I wasn't super uncomfortable with public speaking. Uh, so I did two years of arts and science, uh, taking a lot of biology classes, and then I applied for the College of Education, and I got in. But I found out during my pre-internship that it wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. I wasn't really enjoying what I was doing, and I was really unsure as to what I should do. So I talked to a career counselor, and then to an academic counselor, and then <laughs> to an actual counselor. <laughs> and uh, they all encouraged me to try something different. So I dropped out of the College of Education, and I transferred back into arts and science to take more biology classes, and at least finish with a biology degree of some sort but I felt completely lost and directionless. I remember feeling really emotionally exhausted and praying to God, asking for what my path was. God, what is my calling? So at the start of the story, we meet Moses again, but now he's a married man and a father working for his father-in-law as a shepherd. This is certainly a large change from being an adopted member of Egyptian royalty. He's not enslaved as the Hebrews are, and he's not part of the royal family anymore. He's simply living with the Midianite people and has a very modest job as a shepherd. Your Bible will likely say in verse 1 that Moses has brought his sheep over to Mount Horeb. Now, Horeb means des uh, desolation, but Mount Horeb is just another name for Mount Sinai. I think Horeb was used intentionally here to keep this image that Moses is in the wilderness. He's taken the sheep and he's wandered out into the wilderness with them. And I suspect that Moses is probably feeling a little bit lost at this point and confused about what he's doing or where he's headed. When Modus, Moses notices something, he can see a bush burning, but the bush isn't burning up. It's standing still. So he gets curious and he walks over. And that's when God calls out from the bush to him, Moses, Moses. And Moses answered. Now, this isn't going to be the last time that we see God appear in the form of a fire in Exodus. It'll be a bit of a repeating pattern before the book is over. God instructs Moses to take off his sandals, telling him that the ground he's standing on is holy ground. And this would have been an act that showed respect for sacred space and would have been a somewhat common religious practice within the region at that time. So Moses, at this point, still has absolutely no idea what's going on here. <laughs> uh, he saw something interesting, he walks over, and it introduced itself. So God kindly introduces himself. Uh, and I think the way that he introduces himself here is really interesting. He says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So Moses, up to this point, has had a bit of a confusing identity. He was born in Hebrew ancestry, raised in Egyptian royalty, and now lives, works, and has married into the Midianites. What God with, does with this introduction is he gives Moses a linear history and a family to follow after. Moses has no idea that his name is about to get added to this list of patriarchs. God is helping Moses make sense of his identity and showing him the family line that he will one day follow. 
These are Moses' people, and these are God's people. And if you remember back a couple weeks ago, Nathan taught on the last couple, uh, last couple of verses of chapter 2, when the Israelites were enslaved for many, many years, and it says that God heard them, God saw them, and God knew. And here in verse 7 of chapter 3, we get an exact parallel. The CEB says it really, really clearly here. It says, I've clearly seen my people oppressed in Egypt. I've heard their cry of injustice because of their slave masters. I know about their pain. This story of God's compassion uh, on his people is being reiterated to Moses. God is sharing his heart for his people with Moses, and Moses is getting this glimpse into God's love. Um, and then God gets to the point of why he's talking to Moses in the first point. He says, I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Hebusites. So because the Israelites' cry for help has come to me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, we get that heart again, therefore, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now if God was having this exchange with literally any other Hebrew person, their response would have been like, yes, <laughs> I've been waiting for this. Um, but Moses hasn't been back to Egypt in a really long time, and he has no plans on returning. Egypt was a part of his story that he has run away from completely, and God is asking him to come back. This was not something that Moses would have ever planned for himself. So Moses responds by questioning God's plan, but he's not questioning the motive, and he's not questioning the plan itself or the end goal. I think he gets that. He's, God has clearly shared his heart and his compassion for his people. I think Moses understands. Moses is questioning his own role in all of this. Moses has seen the enslavement and abuse that the Hebrew people have endured, but he doesn't understand what he has to do with any of this. So he says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? You can just hear him saying, why me? Now this is where I would expect God to give Moses a bit of a pep talk and say, look, Moses, you've got a ton of great skills. You already have some connecting points with Pharaoh. I'm sure you can leverage that networking experience. Um, and you're a shepherd. That's some great introductory leadership skills. And I'm sure you could leverage. You got this. But God's response is, I will certainly be with you. That's it. The, mo the reason why Moses can and will see the Hebrew people into freedom from slavery is because of one thing and one thing only. And that thing has absolutely nothing to do with anything Moses has to offer. The one reason why this plan can and will work is because God is with him, and that's it. So next, Moses asks for God's name. He says, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? Which, personally, the way that Moses is phrasing this question almost seems like he's saying, so what's your name? 
asking for a friend, <laughs> you know, if the Israelites ask. But um, Moses answers his questions, and he says, I am that I am. Now, hundreds and hundreds of pages have been written on what this name means and how best to translate it. You'll see, I am that I am, I am what I am, I will be what I will be, I am what I will be, but in the end, God is who God is. God's name is his nature, and he defines himself. And what did God just say about himself? How did he, what did he say? He said, I will be with you. Over the past few months that Greg and I have been part of the Northside Church, we've gotten to know quite a few of you, and there are some amazing things that so many of you have felt called by God to step forward into obedience into. And many of those are really hard things, things like parenting and teaching and nursing and fostering. These are things that you have been called by God to do. And if there's something that you're called by God to do that you feel nervous or scared about, I hope that you can look into the story and see yourself through Moses' eyes. His fear, his questioning, his doubting of his own ability and why God would ever choose him for this task. Notice that again, Moses' first response isn't questioning God's plan. He understands the plan, but he's asking, why me? And I think that that's the question that we could all relate to really easily. And God's response to him in this passage is simple. I will certainly be with you. He doesn't promise that you'll have all the skills that you'll ever need. And he doesn't promise that it'll be easy, but his presence is certain and it's unshakable. He will surely be with you. Now in this story, God's presence appears to Moses through a talking burning bush. And in our lives, God's call might not be so dramatic. So let's start the story over again, and let's take a look at what happened at the very beginning. Moses has taken his sheep into the wilderness, and he's by the mountain when he notices something. The bush is burning, and it's not being burnt up. So he gets curious, and he thinks, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning? It's only after Moses walks over and explores to see what's going on that God reveals himself and speaks to Moses. When God calls you into a mission of some sort, maybe he will speak to you in a big and fantastic way. Or maybe there will be a hum of curiosity, an ember of something small, something still growing, an idea that you might not have ever come across on your own. And as you walk forward, and as you explore, you just might experience God's call upon your life. So as we continue to go forward in Exodus, we will see that Moses' path to leading the Hebrew people into freedom is far from easy. And I can imagine that Moses would, at many times, have to remind himself of his own calling. Remind himself that he is doing this because God called him and has and he is the right person for the job and I hope that if you're struggling with something God has called you to do that you would lean into your calling and so remind yourself that God has called you for this task and he will be with you on the other hand maybe you feel like you don't connect to the story of Moses's call from God maybe you also 
are looking for some sense of direction. And if I'm being honest here, I can't picture a single image of the story of Moses without picturing DreamWorks's Prince of Egypt <laughs> as constantly running in the background of my mind. You know, you're picturing a young, it's hard to see here, but a young, maybe 30-something-year-old Moses, and he's encountering this cool-looking, like, bluish-whitish flame that moves in time with God's voice. Um, but according to some references later on in Exodus, and according to Stephen's retelling of the story in Acts, Moses spent approximately 40 years in Egypt. And then he spent approximately 40 years in the wilderness and with the Midianite people, which means that Moses was around 80 years old when this call took place. Not exactly the DreamWorks image of him. And Moses didn't have this divine call since birth. It was something that developed later in his life. God's calling doesn't always nicely line up with the month before grade 12 graduation, when the most common conversation starter you get is what are you going to do with the entire rest of your life? So when I dropped out of the College of Education, one of my biggest struggles was answering that question. What are my plans for after school? And honestly, I didn't know. And right now, I'm working at a proton accelerator facility. <laughs> And I can honestly tell you that no divine light shone from the heavens and told me, go and work at the proton accelerator. I never heard from any burning bush. Because I think understanding our calling as followers of Jesus is so much broader than just what we do for a living. So let's shift gears just a little bit and do a quick little word study. For this word study, we're going to look at how the New Testament, specifically Paul, uses the word called. So this isn't going to be an exhaustive list because it seems like it was one of Paul's favorite words and it's used quite a bit, but hopefully this will give us a small taste for what the New Testament letters are talking about when they say that someone has been called for something. So Romans 1.1 Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Romans 1.7, to all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8.28, for we all know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. 1 Corinthians 1-2, to the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints, with those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both their Lord and ours. 1 Corinthians 1-24, last one, uh, yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So the grand majority of times that Paul uses the word called He's not actually referring to one single person's divine, unique summons from God. It's something directed by God, certainly, but he's talking about an entire group of people. It's a corporate calling. The calling is given to a group of people, and the calling is an invitation given alongside others. 
And what is this corporate calling that has been given? We are called to be saints, called to be image bearers of Christ, to represent him, act like him, and be his hands and his feet. We are called by Jesus to belong to Jesus. And the reason that this is corporate is because we are called into the body of Christ, the fellowship of believers. Our calling as those who have accepted Christ and choose to become followers of Christ is to follow after his teachings and to share this gift that we've been given with others. When Moses received his calling from God, his mission was to accomplish God's mission. And so it is with the calling that we have all received. We are to accomplish God's mission in the world and to follow the teachings of Jesus. And when do we receive this calling of God? The moment we accept our calling is when we put our trust and our salvation in, onto the work of Jesus. So as a church, we have all been called. We are called to be a group of people to follow after God's, Christ's example and to bring his light into every place that we go. The thing about this corporate calling is it's not like we all happen to have been given the same call from God, like it's this copy-paste sort of situation. Um, we have been called together because we are, are sent together. We have been given a corporate responsibility and a commitment to fulfill God's call. When God spoke to Moses from the burning bush, he told Moses to take off his sandals because the place that he was standing on was holy ground. Well, later in the story, God's presence would again come to the top of Mount Sinai. And after that, much later, a tabernacle would be built. And the purpose of this tabernacle was to be a sort of portable Sinai that the Hebrew people could bring, they could bring God's presence with them. And after many years, that tabernacle was changed into a full temple. And many, many years after that, Jesus came as God's presence in the world in the form of a human. After Jesus' ascension, he sends the Holy Spirit, God's very presence with us. So we have this connecting chain from this moment back to us. We can all enter into God's presence, and we together are all called people. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Now, in English, we have no way to differentiate between a singular you and a plural you, but the you that's in that passage is second-person plural. So what it's saying is, y'all's body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. There is an inescapable communal aspect to our calling. And First Peter puts it so well when it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people, for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Some people, at one time or another, may be called individually to participate with him in a given task, and that is wonderful, but we are all communally called people. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time together, uh, and thank you that we are called, that we are invited with you to participate in your mission here on earth. 
Thank you for these stories from the scriptures where we can see um, some of our feelings being felt by your people in the past and how you responded to them, that you were with them. So thank you that you are with us here today. Amen.